Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. So as you open your Bibles for this morning's scripture lesson, I know that you're planning on reading uh, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, but I want to invite you to turn a little earlier. We're going to start with Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 19, and then we will read Romans 6. So if you want to open to 6 and sort of stick your finger in that spot and then flip back to 5, let's hear now what Paul has for us today in terms of the word of the Lord. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all who have sinned, for sin was indeed in the world before the law, but sin is not reckoned where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam, who is a pattern of the one who is to come." But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have grace of God and the gift of grace in the one man, Jesus Christ, abound for the many. And the gift is not like the effects of one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the gift following many trespasses brings justification." If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through the one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to the condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all. For just as though one man's disobedience The many were made sinners through one man's obedience. The many were made righteous. And then from Romans 6, 1 through 11, we hear these words. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may increase? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who are baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized in his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by the baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, so we might also walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be destroyed, so we might no longer be enslaved to sin." For whoever is died is freed from sin, but if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive in God through Christ Jesus. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? So, oh, holy God, 
in this hour, still our hearts, calm our souls, open our ears. May we hear your words. May they be anchored deep within our very being. And in hearing them, may they change who we are and how we live. So that rising and and leaving this hour, that we may live your words more presently, more intentionally in the world around us. So that we would leave here not as mere hearers of your words, but as doers of your words. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. So in the last month, I have done a lot of driving. I mean, between just the regular goings and comings of my day to going to annual conference, to two graduations, to a family funeral, I have logged 2,800 miles across seven states, two time zones. I know the road pretty well. The lines just keep going and they keep going and the signs pass by. But one of the signs that we notice when we drive, no matter where our travels take us, on a regular basis, there's that one sign that says speed limit. And I've been thinking about that sign a lot. I think it's fair to say that most of us in our travels, when we go somewhere, we have one philosophy in mind. No matter where we're going, whether it's on vacation, a business trip, or just to the grocery store, we want to make excellent time. Fair? We want to make excellent time. And so that speed limit sign, we sort of approach it one of three ways. Some of us approach it with this idea that it's just a suggestion. Others of us, it is an ironclad number. Whatever that number says is exactly where the speedometer is going to be. And then for some of us, it's a negotiating point. You know what I'm talking about? That old state trooper adage, five is fine, but nine you're mine. We negotiate. But we love this idea of excellent time. And our love for this about making excellent time has spawned a whole industry. I mean, years ago, the radar detector industry was where it was at everywhere but the state of Virginia. Then there was a CB radio era, you know, breaker, breaker, good buddy. There's a bear trap at mile marker 27. And everybody's like, who is breaker, breaker, good buddy? But anyway... Then there was the idea of flashing your headlights when you've passed a a police officer with a radar gun to oncoming traffic, hopefully letting them know that there is a speed trap ahead. Some people acknowledged, some found out otherwise. And now there's Siri and Waze, and I don't know, you Android people, there's probably something for you too, that when you punch in a destination on your map as you're driving along, as she gives you turn-by-turn directions, if there's a speed check, which I love that phrase versus a speed trap, if there's a speed check ahead, it lets you know speed check ahead. But sometimes with this, we want to make excellent time my idea and all this technology Every once in a while, though, things go awry. Sometimes that's not enough, and the blue lights come on, and you get to have the opportunity to talk to a law enforcement professional. 
And that opportunity sometimes results in a ticket or points on your license and increase in insurance. And for some people who drive really fast, maybe the opportunity to sit out for a while from driving. And at that point, the old adage comes in, if you're going to commit the crime, be prepared to do the time or pay the fine. But every so often, as a law enforcement professional walks to your car and you know that the end of the world is about to happen in terms of your driving record, you catch a break. And maybe it's just a warning. Or maybe just about the time they got out of the car, another car whizzed by even faster and they thought, better opportunity, and left you sitting on the side of the road, bewildered. But at that moment, you begin to understand a little bit about sin and grace. And the desire to make excellent time even when you know what the rules are. But as we look at today's text, going all the way back to chapter 5 and then looking at chapter 6, this text helps us understand the relationship between Adam and Jesus, between sin and grace. And so the reason why we started with chapter 5, I wanted to sort of turn back the pages and go a little earlier, was it sets up what the Apostle Paul is writing to us in chapter 6. It sets it up so that we understand what Paul is trying to teach so when we think about Paul's letters, we think about all the letters that he's written to the churches all across the ancient world. Some of the times he's writing to address a specific controversy in one of the churches. If you think about it with me, say Hebrews or Thessalonians or even the letter to the Corinthians. As a matter of fact, he wrote them two letters. In those two letters, he's addressing something that's happening in their midst. I mean, think about this. When the church in Corinth, we remember how they were having this discussion about who was the better servant in the kingdom who had the best gifts and Paul finally said enough you are all the body of Christ each one of you matters each one of you has a gift that's needed for the kingdom so like a body put it together and let's do great things a specific controversy other letters he's trying to explain a theological point so think about this past year after Easter before Pentecost we looked at the book of Galatians and as he's writing the church in Galatia, he's unpacking the idea of grace. Prevenient grace, justifying grace, sanctifying grace. And he's unpacking what God's grace means in depth and to help them understand how they live it out in their lives. Which brings us to the letter to the church at Rome. As I told you last time that this was a church that Paul did not visit, but one, he knew about him because it was a center of power. He really wanted to kind of get everything out. So this letter, it's a very theological letter. What he writes to Rome is a very heady, very deep. Uh, it's a source document, if you will, for many of the theologians in the church, St. Augustine, Luther, Bart, Tertullian. It's a very heady book. By no means, it's, it's, it's not all academic. It's not all deep theology. But there's a lot of it there. And that's part of why this summer, while many of us sort of in our personal lives are doing deep beach reads, you know, that surface stuff, maybe we ought to go deeper in our faith. So that's why verse 15 and why this summer we're looking at the book of Romans is to see how this theology that sort of frames the church, how it exists so that we can put it into practice in our lives. Where this moment while our lives are maybe in vacation mode, we can really think deeply about our faith and about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ.
So what happens in this text, the text, a, it helps us understand sort of the sin and its origins, how sin plays out in our lives, how grace lifts us out of this sort of cesspool of sin. And then what do we do with this knowledge? How do we put this to practice in the world around us? And all of this informs and impacts our practice of the Christian faith outside the walls of the church, outside of the hour of worship, outside of the 10 or 15 minutes that we spend reading the Bible each day. It sort of helps become a part of our very being and who we are. In the fourth century, St. Augustine, he was looking at Romans chapter five and he uses this to create what's called the doctrine of original sin. And it's a way to explain how sin enters into the world, why sin persists, and ultimately how it affects the Christian life. And it all starts at the very beginning because we have to go back to the beginning for everything, right? It starts at the beginning with Adam and with Eve. And remember, there was one commandment when God created all the world. He said, I give you everything for your disposal. Do with it what you will. There's only one thing I ask of you. Don't eat of the tree. Don't eat of this one specific tree in the center of the garden. So he lays that out. But humanity's hubris. Adam and Eve, by their own hubris, convinced themselves this won't hurt. This won't matter. We'll be okay. It's just a tree. It's just fruit. And yet we know now what happened. What happens is they, in their own hubris, their own self-centeredness, their own self-importance, their own self-righteousness, they began the era of sin, the age of sin, if you will. So it brings this idea as Paul is writing to the church in Rome, just what is sin? And its simplest form, sin is breaking the rules. But there's more to it than that. Because if it was as simple as breaking the rules, it'd be like looking at your bank account and watching your bank balance dwindle down almost to the point of bouncing checks or getting that NSF notice on your ATM card. Almost the point of watching that happen, and when you realize you're about to do that, you can make a quick deposit, work a little harder, earn a little bit more money so that you can bring it back up and nothing bounces. But what Paul is saying is that with or without the law, with or without rules, that Paul says we still sin. Sometimes we know what the rules are like a speed limit sign, but we still break the rules. We still sin. What he's talking about, he's talking about things like, yes, rebellion and disobedience, but it's not just on the surface of actually doing it. It's also in how in thought, word and deed. Now, think about that. We think of sin oftentimes as just doing the bad thing. Having bad actions, bad deeds. But think about how do we sin with our words? Or worse, with our thoughts. It's when we begin to rebel and disobey, even at that level, with what we think or what we say, not just what we do. But the reality is that sin is all of that, but it's also just whatever separates us from God. So think about the story of the prodigal son. Gets his inheritance and leaves and runs far away, goes to the far country from his father. Friends, don't we do that with God? Don't sometimes we run far away, we separate ourselves, we ignore God, we ignore God's teachings. 
the things that we've learned. We run away, we build walls or we dig deep ditches so that God can't get to us. We build a chasm between us and God, the way we live our lives and what God wants for us. And so what Paul is saying is that this is sin and that sin brings death. And he doesn't mean literal death, so sometimes that is the consequence of our actions. What he really means is this idea of separation from God, that we have cleaved that relationship. Remember back in creation, everything was perfect and set aside for us. And what God really wanted was this perfect symbiotic relationship between each of us and God. This closeness where we would want to do the things that please God, we would choose to do what God wanted for us. So as Paul writes, it starts with Adam. And it continues because of humanity's self-centeredness and selfishness. And the consequence is that we sometimes lead a life that God doesn't intend for us. Our life is not as rich as it could be if we would lead the life that God wants for us. And so that's that distance, that cavern. But what Paul says is, but there is hope for you yet. There is hope for us yet. And it comes in Jesus Christ. So we look at the word atone. The very definition of it is a person to atone is a person taking action to correct a previous wrong. That's mostly right. I mean, that's what atonement means. But another way to look at this is it's something that happens to bridge a gap to fill in a ditch. So you take the word atone and you put the emphasis somewhere else rather than between the A and the T, you put it after the T and the O, it's at one. So to atone is to be brought back in right relationship, to be at one with God. And this matters because if some humanity's sin is what separates us from God, then what can bring us back together? So if the relationship between us and God and us and sin is not like a bank account where we can just make some deposits, what Paul is really saying is that we can't earn our salvation. We can't do enough good works to erase our sinful nature. We can't earn our way out of this state. And that's why Jesus is the hope. That's why God sends his son, that Jesus comes to break the backbone and the power of sin that Jesus brings life and justification to our lives, that Jesus' righteousness and grace becomes our acquittal. See, the death of Jesus on the cross is the atonement for our sin. It's what fills in the gasm, it's what bridges the gap, it's what knocks down walls, it's what restores that relationship that God had in mind for us at creation. So being baptized in Christ means that we are baptized in his death and resurrection. It means that we are cleansed from sin and given new life and new birth with the knowledge of where we have been and where God wants us to be. It's a call for us to change our ways. Reminded of a friend of mine a few years ago, David, he was telling me this story about growing up in his household. And he says, you know, he and his brother, he said they would fight from time to time, as sometimes brothers do. And they would go at loggerheads with each other. And one day they were going at it and they could hear their mom coming from across the house. And they knew that trouble was amiss. David quickly separates from the fight with his brother. and He just goes and sits on the steps. And his mom comes around the corner wild eyed and she says, what are you doing? And he goes, I went in and put myself in timeout. 
See, David knew that he'd messed up. David knew that he'd made the mistakes and David knew that he needed to change. And the way to change for him at that moment in time was to not fight and go ahead and accept the punishment. But see, when we begin to realize the impact of Christ's grace in our lives, we begin to think about how we change our ways. See, Christ showed obedience, even obedience to death. So what does it mean for us to be called to be obedient to Christ? It means to try harder, to lean on the laws that we know that are out there in front of us, what we read in the Old Testament, what we read in the teachings of Jesus, to do better and to be better at life with each other in a relationship with God. It means to be called to judge each other less and to work that much harder to build the kingdom one person at a time. In verse 11, Paul writes these words in chapter 6, verse 11. He says, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive in God. And what he means by that is he writes that church, says, change your focus. Find the joy in which what God has given to you in the present. Realize the abundance and the gifts that God has showered on the world. Realize that you are loved. Realize that he sent his son to die for your sins. to rebuild that relationship. And as we, remember, as we realize that, that we're dead to sin and alive in God with all of these blessings, then to spread that joy to everyone by the way we live in thought, word, and deed. So to be different than we were before. And in those moments, we begin to realize that we have this new life in Christ and that we were raised with him at the resurrection, that our baptism, that we were clean from sin, and we can no longer go back to the way we were. See, that's the beauty of the gospel, my friends. That since the dawn of time that God has put the road signs out in front of us to say, this is what I want for you. This is the way I want you to live. This is what I want. And sometimes we have thought, and even to this day, sometimes still think that we know better and what the gospel tells us. What Paul writes to the church in Rome is that Christ's grace says that we don't have to live that way, that it's broken the backbone of that sin and that we can live in a land of grace. That grace frees us from punishment, but calls us to live to be better citizens of the kingdom of God. To work on a relationship with God. To work on a relationship with each other. That we are dead to sin and alive in God. And thanks be to God for that. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.